Chris partied the last two weeks and he didn't study. So therefore, I'm standing in the gap. Now, I, I, I preserved from my perch over here, there was a lot of questions based on his teachings from Galatians about the right use of the law of Moses now that Christ has come. So my objective is to deal with that. The truth is, when I was done, I had 365 PowerPoints, and I said, that's too many. <laughs> so now I've got it down to about 100, and that's still too many. But anyway, brothers, pray for me. All right, now... I don't want to be like the player piano on the side while the silent movie goes. I'm going to ask questions, all right? I'm going to be looking at particular parts of the room or sections or rows to spread the joy around to answer the questions. I hope they will be easy, but I don't know how that goes. All right, so, so we're talking about how should we as Christians, what do we do with the law of Moses? That's, that's where we're going. So buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. And it really has a lot to do with the impact of the new covenant on the old Okay, right? I have a wife who's a graphic designer that helps me with these things. Now, anything bad I've done after she looked at them the last time. So, <clears throat> Now, you all know the Bible's in two big sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Okay, back row. What does the word testament mean? Uh, you, okay, contractor covenant is the right answer. Against all logic, because normally it means testimony, like his... Adrian Rogers, 30 years as a quarterback, is a testament to his athletic prowess. See, right? Okay. And you think that, but that's not what it means. Now, you won't find the word testament on the pages of the Bible. It's a lousy word to use for what, why don't they just say contract? Well, it wasn't called testament until the 4th century A.D. Uh, It's Latin testamentum. And it referred to a last will and testament. So it did refer to a legal contract, but we don't think of it that way today. We think of testimony. The Greek word diatheke means, as you've already said, covenant. If you're going to put Latin, if you're into Latin, you could put pactum, like a compact, Mayflower compact, or the car you drive, maybe it's a compact. I don't know. All right. But it does mean contract, marriage, covenant. That's the idea. You know, the best word I thought of was a treaty. You know, like maybe we had a contract to buy and sell a car between each other. But we don't make a treaty. Treaties are done between countries, right? A peace treaty, you know. So this word describes the things that nations do with each other as sovereigns. And so you've got God, who's a pretty big king, making these covenants, these treaties with different people. And so it's that kind of a gravity and seriousness on it. But there's a bunch of these things in the Bible. You know, there's one with Noah, there's one with Abraham, there's one with Moses, there's one with Jesus, there's other ones. Which is the Old Testament? Which one is the one? What, which one are we talking about? Which one? Okay, this side of the room. Which one? Yes, the one with Moses is the old one. Now that is not a put down that people made up. This name was given to it by the Bible itself. This is a biblical name for that thing that happened with Moses. All right, but we are talking about Jehovah God made a treaty with the ancient Israel, okay? Uh, it, it happened on the Sinai Peninsula. They've left Egypt. They're heading toward the Promised Land. So sometimes you'll read about it called the Sinai Covenant. We go back in time. We're about 1,400 years before Jesus, okay? Now, some people call it the Mosaic Covenant, not like Mosaic tiles all busted, but named after Moses. Or some people called it the Carlton Heston Covenant as well. <laughs> now, but here's Paul, for example, calls it the Old Covenant. That's many places it's called that, but that's just one example. So it's a little confusing to say testament, and that's the point. We're talking about 
a covenant. And, and let me just say, when we say Old Testament, sometimes we're talking about the 39 books of the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay, there's a big difference between the Hebrew Scriptures and that one testament God made with Moses at Mount Sinai. So when I say we're not under the Old Testament, I'm not throwing the Hebrew Scriptures in the trash can. We're talking about what impact did this thing with Jesus have on the thing with Moses? Okay, that's what we're looking at. So I hope I'm not saying anything new. That's why I'm going fast here. It was a very conditional covenant. By the way, that's the last thing you want with God is a conditional covenant. It was based on performance and obedience. And guess what? The law of Moses. Okay, this was not a good deal. Okay, they got a bad deal, but on purpose. I mean, God knew it was going to be bad. But here's an example, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now, look at this. If you obey fully and keep the covenant, then. So you've got these if-then sequences all throughout the Sinai covenant. It is conditional. And how many, how many conditions were there? How many rules were there? Okay, over 600. That's right. 600. Now, we are infatuated with 10 of those. All right? And that's where the real controversy comes in. You know, like it says, you can't mix two different kinds of fabric together. So unless you're wearing 100% something, you're in sin according to the law. Well, we don't go about that. Yeah, we get hung up on these 10. All right? So this is the big problem. But the whole thing is about you keep it and you're blessed. You break it. And you're cursed. And I won't go through all those curses for the sake of time, but just as an example, Deuteronomy 28, blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey. But if you do not obey, then all these curses and their parallel lists, all the blessings are mirrored exactly by all the curses. Okay, that's not a deal you want. So now within the 600 laws, theologians have divined that they can put them in one of three categories. Who in this section can tell me one of the three categories of Moses' law? The easy one is civil. We're going to come back to that. And you said how you deal with God. What do you mean by that? With um, temple law. Okay, so one is about ceremony. One is about civil. We're going to come to that. What's the third? Moral. Moral. All right. Or ethical. So give me an example. You could base it on this picture. Give me one Ethical command of Moses. <laughs> You're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you kill him. You can kill him. Just don't use a rock. The guy with the new shirt on the front row said another kind of, of law is civil law. Now that's a penal code. That's penal code. Penalty. All right. Penal institutes are for people who break the law. All right. Give me an example of a penal law. Then what happens? There's some kind of restitution. Yeah, okay. So it's the penalty. Like back then, they didn't have jails. So if you're a thief, what's the penalty? That's Islam, brother. No, you've got to pay back like seven times what you stole. And what if you consistently fail to pay back what you stole? Well, then that's what's called slavery. And what if you kept running away? They'd just kill you. That's it. No prison system. Oh, those are penalties. All right. Now, third type, y'all rightly said, was ceremonial. So, Eric, give me an example of a ceremonial law. The way they would sacrifice the bull. 
the way, well, first that you got to sacrifice and it can be a bull and not a pig and the way you do it and you got to wear funny clothes. By the way, if you ever go to a church and all the, the leaders are called priests and they wear funny clothes, you should just leave that church. There's a problem there. Okay. Uh, now, we said there's three types of law and that's true. There are. You can see it with your own eyes. But the first time in history that anybody wrote about that was Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. That's just before they started calling the covenant a testament. Right? And then John Calvin in the 16th century made a big deal out of it. And even though it's true, it can be misleading. It can lead to what I think are false applications. Because when you read the law of Moses, this is what it looks like, which is not much. It's, it's all, all these three are woven together. They're not separated out from each other. They're, they're united as one. So it's not so easy to decide, well, what's ethical and what's ceremonial? And one big controversy over that would be the Sabbath observance. Is that a civil law? Is that a ceremonial law? It's not a penalty, but anyway, so that's not so easy to do. Moses doesn't break them out for you like that. They're all mixed up. And uh, I would say... They're like the United States, according to the Pledge of Allegiance there. Indivisible. As a Southerner, I don't like that, but they say it's indivisible. Now, uh, and James, James says this in the New Testament. Okay, so Robert Thomason. Now, you look a lot like Carlton Heston. That's good. Wow. Would you stand up, pretend you're Carlton, and stand up and say this with authority for me. Say, read that verse. <laughs> Do you see this? It's all or nothing. In math, we call that, or was that math or something? Binary, right? It's either on or it's off. It's all. You break one of them, any of them, the least of them, you're as guilty as if you've broken all of them. Now, that's some bad juju right there. It really is. Uh, Now, going back in time, now we're going back to 1500 BC. I want you to talk to me about what's the purpose of that covenant when it was given. In other words, Every covenant had some purpose. Like if we had a contract and I'm going to sell you my house, the purpose of the contract is you give me your money, I give you my house, it's in a contract. So what's the payoff here? What did God tell the Jews they'd get if they kept the covenant? Okay, let's start over in the quiet section here. Quiet section, what what do they get? What's Land. Oh, that's a big one. Okay, and somebody in the outer darkness, outer darkness... Give me another thing they got if they obeyed. Prosperity. prosperity. That's why people like Reverend Ike and I can't think of the rest of them, these prosperity preachers, they always go to the law of Moses and they look at the prosperity things. Boy, that's excellent. So got property, prosperity. This section. What's another thing they got? Protection. Protection. From who? From the, the IRS. That's right. <laughs> so... Name for me some of their enemies that were surrounding them. Give me some countries that were the bad guys to them. Assyria. The Philistines. Taiwan. Uh, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, Egypt. Everybody, really. Okay. The investment bankers. The investment bankers, yes. Except the risk department. They were, okay. But even though everything you said is true... Most commentators say there's one biggie. One biggie is the main reason, okay? And nobody mentioned it, and that's okay, is that they would be a peculiar people set apart from the nations. Now, by the way, guys, 
I hear that in Korea now they're saying that not not the church, but Korea is the new chosen nation. God's darling. Well, there ain't no such thing. Now, some Americans think it's us. Used to ever heard of Anglo-Israelism? Used to think it was a British ship. Look, Israel is the only nation in the history of the world that God has ever made a treaty with, and there's never going to be any other one. Okay, so anyway, that made them peculiar. Okay, now, but the, the main payoff is this one. He says, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the commentators say this is the prime directive here. This is the major purpose of that. And it did accomplish that. And these other things helped to accomplish that. So, as you said, they would get possession of the land, protection in the land, prosperity in the land, and they would have a lot of kids, a big population, okay? So that's all part of it. But, 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 there's one thing super important they were never, ever promised for obedience. What was it? Salvation. 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 Never promised that. They were never promised. I had to get a P in there, so I put pardon (laughs) (coughs) for obedience. I could change land to property and I have a whole bunch of peace, right? Possession of the property, protection of the property. All right, never promise that. That's a big deal. You need to get that, okay? That's, that's so important. And Galatians, which I think you've been studying, says if justification were through the law of Moses, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, Jehovah God gave a prophecy as soon as this covenant was made with Moses. He gives a prophecy. This is God himself talking, okay? So, Dwayne's going to read it. This is from Deuteronomy 31.16. This people will break my covenant. That's what God said would happen. Did it happen? Yes. It happened in a big way over and over and over. Now, I'll show you what got Stephen killed. Remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr? Now, he read where Moses said this. He's not stupid. He says, this is not a nice thing to say. This is not how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> You stiff-necked people, (laughs) uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. He talked about them. Which of the prophets did they not kill? So do you. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Okay, you don't want to live next door to these people back then. You're probably better off next to the Philistines. Now, there's another prophecy God gives. We fast forward a thousand years. Now, uh, he speaks through Jeremiah, the prophet. Okay? And so, Eric, read what Jeremiah prophesied. God through Jeremiah. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like my covenant that they broke. So he's prophesying he's going to make a new one, not like that other one they broke, which was which one? The old one. one. By the way, it's old now, comparison to this new one, and they did indeed break it. And so that's why at the Last Supper, Jesus is given the bread and the wine, and he says, this cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. He didn't just, he wasn't freebasing there. He didn't know making up stuff as he goes. This is a, he knew it, and they all knew it. This is a fulfillment of what Jehovah prophesied through Jeremiah. Okay, that's a big deal. So the new covenant is a fulfillment of that Jeremiah 31 prophecy. And let's go on. He says, it's not like, this new one is not like the covenant they broke. So... How is the new covenant not like the covenant that they broke? On the back row. Somebody give me one way the new covenant is not like the old one. Back row. Not based on works. 
It's not based on works. That's right. What is it based on? Christ's grace, promise. That's right. Amen. You get it by faith. That's a great and major difference. Somebody over here in the youth department. Give me give me another. Give me another difference between these two. This one does save. It forgives your sins. That is a big deal. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Outer darkness. Give me another difference. Okay, he said it's not based on works, it's based on promise. Somebody else said it gives forgiveness. Can you think of another? Unconditional? Okay, that's real close. It's unconditional. There are no conditions. You can't do anything to get it. You can't do anything to lose it. It's a gift that God gives you. That's a good one. Yes, sir? Oh, it's not just a Jewish thing. We get sucked into this. It's even people from Korea can come and be a part of this. (laughs) Right? Amen. Anybody think of any other big differences? It doesn't make the promises of land. Uh, it doesn't make the promises of protection. Okay. Prosperity. Okay, so we instead of physical land, physical prosperity, physical protection, you got, it spiritualizes all that. What is the promised land a type of that's spiritual? Heaven. And what is the nation of Israel a type of that's spiritual? The church. The church. That's right. Y'all see that? And the ultimate blessing is not prosperity. It's what? Permanent fellowship, Permanent fellowship with God. That's right. Eternal life. Eternal life. That's the greatest blessing. Only one sacrifice. One single sacrifice. Oh, and instead of a bunch of sacrifices, it's just one. And that was Jesus. Amen, brother. That's good. So, yes, y'all got it. You're passing so far. And Jeremiah is going to tell you too, or Jehovah through Jeremiah. But John says the law was given through Moses. You got that. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Which would you rather have? You pick. Now, so Jeremiah says, now here's one big difference. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. Where was the law of Moses written? Stone tablets. New covenant's written on your hearts. Here's another one. They shall all know me. Hmm. Now, how's that different than the old covenant? Close. That's a good guess. Okay, in ancient Israel, only a remnant truly believed. Like, like you can be an American without being a capitalist, right? You could be in ancient Israel and under the covenant and not know Jehovah. It was a, it was a national covenant. But the new covenant is not national, it's individual. You can't be in the new covenant unless you know Jesus. You see? So that's a big difference. That's a big difference. And that's the difference between Christendom and Christianity in that sense. Okay. Now, and then here's the other one y'all mentioned. I will forgive their iniquity. Moses couldn't offer that. He couldn't. This is a big deal. And so that's why Jesus says, uh, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is the payoff of the new covenant that Moses didn't offer. So we looked at the physical purposes. It mostly had to do with land. There it was. But now let's look at this spiritual purpose of a law. Now, again, we've dealt with that in Galatians. I'm going to just take a big chance here. Who can tell me from Galatians what the spiritual purpose of a law was? It's a schoolmaster to take who, where. So far, so good. Help him out. 
Who is this schoolmaster for? According to Galatians. Jews. And where are they going? To Christ. That's what it's for. So now look at this. Paul talks about the law. He calls it a ministry of death. Why is it a ministry of death? Why? Why is that true? Because if you still live under the law, you have to keep the law and you can't be saved. Because you can't keep it. Right. It'll beat you bloody with your own sin. You cannot keep the law. It shows you your sin and your goose is cooked in relation to being right with God. That's what its purpose is. It kills you spiritually. That's what it's for. Now, so look at Romans 3.19. Okay, James, can you see it back there? You got your glasses on? Are you James? <laughs> That's why you don't have them on. Okay, read that for me. <laughs> now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Okay, whatever the law says, who's it speaking to? Who's that? Hint, hint, hint. Jewish people. In the Bible, the only people under the law are unbelieving Jews. If you're not Jewish, your ancestors at this point in time have no relationship to the law of Moses. Okay, you might have grown up Catholic and maybe you did. The ancestors didn't. Now, what's the purpose of the law? Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, I've abandoned Galatians since Chris is wearing you out. I thought I'd go over to Romans. Okay, through the law, what? Comes the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of it. So we've said it here. The spiritual purpose of the law of Moses was to show, especially elect Jews, their sin. Now, here's an example of that drawn from Romans 7. I think this is Paul's, my opinion, this is his testimony of the right function of the law in his life. Okay, Peter, Parker, Parker, read that for me. You know who you are, brother. Spider-Man, read that. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced sin in me. You see, that is the correct use of the law of Moses in the life of an elect Jew. That's what it was supposed to do. Y'all see that with your own eyes. Okay, so now a moment y'all been waiting for. What is the impact of the new covenant on the old? Okay, now, see who hadn't read. Randy, read that for me. From, this is, now, this is the author of Hebrews. He's quoting Jeremiah 31 and applying it. Okay, Randy? What's that word? Obsolete. Okay, y'all tell me. What does obsolete mean? It's done, it's over, it's no good. Okay, and so I looked it up. That's what it said. No longer in use, outmoded of a kind no longer current. So I want to show you something obsolete. There it is. Okay, now do you see any bumpers on that car? That is a car, right? Are there bumpers? No. Are there turn signals? No. There's one stoplight. You can see it sticking up. It's got plate glass windows in it. How would you like to get in a wreck in that? Uh, there's no crumpled zones. There's no seat belts. It's got mechanical brakes. And just the other day, I was reading where this guy had restored one of these, and he was going down the road in it, and I guess he fell asleep. And you see those tall, skinny wheels? He went off the shoulder. Well, it flipped it over and killed him. Would you? These are obsolete, guys. They're obsolete. obsolete. Think, law of Moses. That's law of Moses. Remember that old commercial for the fake butter? That's not a nice thing to say about Mother Nature. Well, it's not a nice thing to say about the law. I didn't say it. The guy who wrote Hebrews wrote it, all right? Now, look what he says. He goes on to say, it's growing old. Now, look, that's the same guy 100 years later. Same guy. Now, I don't know how much longer he lived after that picture, but it couldn't have been much, okay? (laughs) Law of Moses. 
Okay? Now look at this one. So that's why this word old comes in again. It's growing old. It's the old covenant, right? Old covenant. That's what you should think of. Ready to vanish away. That guy vanished. Now, when did it vanish? Now, he's writing this. The guy wrote this. It had not quite vanished. When did it vanish? A.D. 70. What happened? Your favorite army invaded. The Romans invaded. And they destroyed Jerusalem. And, oops, accidentally burned down the temple. And then they expelled the Jews from the land. Basically didn't come back until after World War II. 2,000 years they've been gone. Okay, that's when it vanished away, and the temple's still not there yet. I don't think it's going to come back. All right, so the new covenant made the Sinai covenant vanish. It's gone. Okay, so we got the new covenant versus the old covenant, the broken covenant. Call it, what you call it? The broken covenant. We got the broken covenant and the new covenant. That's, that's better. How about the obsolete covenant? That's biblical. I don't know why they call it what, old stick. When they call it the obsolete one, that would have been so clear. Okay, a vanishing covenant. Ooh, nothing up my sleeve. Presto. All right, now help me with this. Old Testament, you had the Levitical priesthood. What do we got in the New Testament? What's it called? What priesthood do we have? What, what order is Jesus in? Melchizedek. Okay, Old Testament, we got the high priest Aaron. Who's the high Christ, or we'll say Jesus. Old Testament, we got repeated sacrifice. What have we got in the New Testament, Dwayne? Once for all. Ooh, yeah, wake up now. All right. Old Testament made nothing perfect. How about New Testament? Makes perfect. Now, the reason I ask you this is because of an inspired question. I wouldn't have written this question. I kept making it shorter and shorter because it was so hard. But here's the question. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what, see the dot, 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 what further need? Would there have been for another priest, that's talking about Jesus, to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Dot, dot, dot. Question mark. Answer the question. No need. There would have not been a need. Jesus was not in the Levitical priesthood. He was not qualified to be a priest. He had to have a new priesthood. Now, that's a fact. I don't think that's controversial. But here's the application. Now, this is from the same guy. Where there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily what? Change in the law. As they say, change happens. Change in the law. Now, right now, we're trying to get the law of the state of Georgia changed to abolish abortion. We want to see a change in the law so it is no more. Okay? So, changes in legislation. There's been a change in the law, folks. And that's talking about the law of Moses. Now, then he said, he calls it in Hebrews 7, 18, a former commandment. England is the former ruler of the state of Georgia. Are you under English law? No, you're not. Former, Obama is the former president. Is he still the president? No. Yes. (laughs) Shadow president. Okay, not officially, anyway. Now, then Hebrews 7.18 says it's been set aside. What does it mean to set something aside? You're not using it anymore. You set it aside. So the definition from the Greek was to do away with or to cancel even stronger. Okay, so it's been set aside. Then he said it's weak. Weak, yes. Why is it weak? In what way is it weak? 
It can't save you. Run and do the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. It can't help. It points to righteousness, but it can't give it to you. In that sense, it is weak. Then he says, I jumped ahead, he says, the law makes nothing perfect, okay? So you see the spooky guy, something's wrong. Something wrong with the law. Well, really, what's wrong is us. <laughs> what's wrong? Something wrong with us. <laughs> okay, now, and then he says, it's weak. Oh, he said that. It's useless. There we go. Useless. That sign is useless. What's it useless for? In what sense is it useless? Well, he said the same thing again. It made nothing, yeah, it, it made nothing perfect, and now we've got a new covenant. It's just useless. Now, he's talking about the holy law of Moses from Mount Sinai, and even the Ten Commandments. Look at these things he's saying about it. You believe that? Yeah, I'm making it up. These are, these are Bible words. All right. Okay, so Romans, but look at this. Now, Paul said, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I don't dislike Moses. I don't dislike those laws. But then they can't do anything for you except condemn you. That's their use. Okay, so the problem's us, really. And he says that you'll know this, Hebrews 10, 4, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, that's easy. So it makes nothing perfect. That's the point. There we go. Look at all these words that are stacking up here, just pulled out of Hebrews about the law of Moses. And look at this. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So when you read all that stuff about Moses and Israel, shadow lands. Okay, now look at this fellow. What does he want? The shadow or the girl? What would you rather have? He, he wants the girl. You think he's going to settle for a shadow? That's the difference. That's Moses right there. That's Moses versus Jesus. That's Old Covenant versus New Covenant. You mess around with the Old Covenant, you're just... It's a shadow. There's nothing there. Now, it was great for its day. So was the Model T. All right. Shadow. There we go. Now, on the other hand, what does he say? A better hope is introduced. What is the better hope? Jesus and that other covenant, the new one. So instead of the new covenant, we could call it the better covenant. How would that be offensive to your Jewish friends? All right. And what do we do with that one? That's how we draw near to God. That's the one that does that for you. And look at that. Christ does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with it. I mean, can it get any more clear than this? Look at that. Does away with it. It's gone. All right. Gone. That's, this is, you should take this home. The law of Moses is gone because it was part of a covenant that's canceled, abrogated, gone away with. It's in French, c'est fini no longer in force, okay? It's gone. There it is. All those words. I didn't make any of them up. It's in the Bible. It's gone. And now, the application. You're not under the law of Moses. Don't, and Galatians' application is don't be under, don't go running under the law of Moses. And that was the whole problem in the book of Galatians. These Judaizers were trying to get Gentile Christians to go under the law of Moses. Isn't that right? Parson Brown, I say that? All right. You're not under the moral law. You're not under the civil law, and you're not under the ceremonial law. They're gone. The whole thing is gone. Now, I want to explain this. It's all or nothing. You either keep all of it or none of it. See? You can't pick and choose. They're united as one. It's like, imagine a balloon. It's either popped or it's not. And once it's popped, it's popped. You know who popped it? Jesus. It's gone. All right. 
Romans 6.14. You are not under law, but under grace. There we go. Now, Romans 7.1. Do you not know, brothers, talking to Christians, for I am speaking to those who know the law. What type of Christians is he writing to? Jewish Christians, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, last I checked, we died in Christ. Now, he's going to illustrate it. I wouldn't teach about marriage and divorce from this verse. It's not about that. It's just an illustration. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage, right? That's clear. And he says, he says more than that, but that's the part I've quoted. So likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So you died, and now you can marry somebody else. And that, who's that? Jesus. That's right. Okay. Romans 7, 6. You are released. Now he's talking about Jewish Christians. Remember, we never were under it. You are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not in the old written code, Moses, but in the new life of the Spirit. That seems pretty clear. So, question is, does God's grace do away with God's law? Okay, brave person answer that. No. 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 That's why I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. It looks like it would, but no, it doesn't. No, so we got to do some more explaining here. We're going to look at the right use of the law of Moses now that Christ has come. Now, there's a bad thing called antinomianism. Somebody named Peter could answer what antinomianism is. So you got some people who claim to be Christians and they're libertines, to use a word from the sound of music. They say they can live any way they want to. And they're still going to go to heaven. Well, and, and so they're lawless. They, they, it's like Outback Steakhouse, all rules, no rules, just right. All right. But that's not right. And so we're not antinomian. Um, in the New Testament, it says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices what? Lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, that's kind of weird here. I just said we're not under the law of Moses, but we are still under God's law, and we don't want to be lawless. We're under this, and it calls it that in the New Testament, the law of Christ. Now, there's a lot of laws in Georgia that are very similar to laws in England. There's a lot of overlap, but we're not under British law. There's a lot of things in the law of Moses that are very similar to the law of Christ, but we're not under the law of Moses. So that's why we're not antinomian. Now, this passage in 1 Corinthians 9, to me, perfectly explains our relationship with all this. Paul says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. Who does he mean by those under the law? Unbelieving Jews. Now, he's talking about, for purposes of evangelism, he pretended to be under the law. And that's why he says, well, he's going to say it in a minute, but the the Greek there for under under law is hupo-namon, hupo like a hupodermic needle, goes under your skin, and namon, as has already been said, means law. So they are, unbelieving Jews are under law. All right, but look what he says, though not myself under the law. Paul was not under the law of Moses, and neither are you, right? I want you to see that. No Christian is under the law of Moses. Now, then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Who's he talking about? What group of people? Unbelieving Gentiles, our ancestors. Okay, now the Greek here is anamos, same word namos, law. Ah means not. No law. 
No law. Lawless, really. Okay, so unbelieving Gentiles are really outside the law of Moses. Now, where does that leave us? In the next verse. All right. Now, he says, not being outside the law of God, talking about himself, but under the law of Christ. All right. Now, the, that is in namas Christu. Now, there's the word in. E-N means I-N. In. Namas. In law. Christ. In law to Christ. So, we're, we're not like Jews under the law of Moses. We're not like pagans without any law. We are in law to Christ. And the Bible elsewhere calls it the law of Christ. Make sense? Okay. So there's unbelieving Jews, hupo naman, unbelieving Gentiles, anamas, Christians, in namas, Christu, in law to Christ. So that's straight out of Paul. And I don't think Chris has got to it yet, but Paul, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, naman to Christu, the law of Christ. All right. So what we would have to say is ethical portions of the law of Moses have been renewed in the law of Christ. Okay, that's about as far as I can go with Moses. You see that? So your starting point for ethics should be Jesus, not Moses. I like Moses. You read Moses. But remember, you got to read it through the New Covenant lens. All right. So Galatians. Read that, Chris, since you're the Galatians expert. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. You see. So what was moral then is moral now. Romans says the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Where does that come from? Moses. You shall not murder. Where does that come from? Moses. Moses. You shall not steal. Where does that come from? Moses. Moses. You shall not covet. Where does that come from? Moses. And any other commandment is summed up in this word. What do you suppose the word is? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the correct use of the law of Moses. So a lot of this stuff has been renewed in the new covenant. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Who knows what city that is in where it says love? Philadelphia. Did you recognize it? Yeah. Okay. Now, we're looking at the right use of the law of Moses now that Christ has come. Right use number one. Well, maybe I ought to ask you. It doesn't have to be number one. Give me a right use of the law of Moses today, y'all. Give me one. Okay, maybe we could look at Moses. Okay, so all of a sudden we're in charge of the state of Georgia and we, we have kingly powers and we could look, we're going to do it right. Okay, so maybe we could look at the law of Moses and look at their penal code as our standard for crime and punishment. That, that would be wisdom. We're not have to do that, but it, yeah, I mean, it might be a blessing. By the way, they had no jail system. That would mean we would get away with the prison system and go to another system. Unfortunately, that's called slavery, and that doesn't sell too well right now. But Okay, so give me uh, another right use of the law of Moses. Okay, maybe we could still use it in the conviction of non-believers. Would that be a right use of the law? Well, if it... If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If it worked for Jews, maybe work on Gentiles. Okay, I'm not going to be opposed to that. Sure. What else? In that same vein, you can just show that we can't keep that law. There, there's no way we could ever keep it. Okay, you could. And we have a need. So we can learn from the law the same thing the Jews did, that you can't be right with God based on law. So there are theological lessons we can draw from the law. Did I have a hand over here or a stretch? Okay. Yes, sir. Hunter? Historical what? I'll take any use. What would that be then? Um, um, historical prevalence of ancient Israel. 
We can learn that. Yes. Has that got an application for my life today? I can think of one related to the church. If maybe the church is to, the, to do what ancient Israel is supposed to do. We'll come back to that. Hang on to that thought. Now, what? having no other God before. We can draw good theology from that. You shall have no other gods before me. That's still true, isn't it? All right. So let me just blow through some of these. I think we'd all agree the spiritual purpose of the law of Moses is to show elect Jews their sin. It's still doing that today. By the way, this is no extra charge. I should probably not even say it. But I was out to lunch with this pastor of Decatur Baptist Church. He's a cool guy. Loves the Lord. He and his, these other pastors made up a blessing basket for the rabbis around here. And they, at Hanukkah, they put fruit and gift cards to Starbucks and all kind of stuff in there. And they just went to the synagogues around and went in and gave it to the, just trying to make a relationship, gave it to the rabbis and just tried to, you know, build a relationship. We're going to take them out to lunch later. No gospel stuff. But they went to one place and the receptionist says, oh, well, he's busy. He can't see you. And well, I'll just give it to him. Well, well, do you have a business card? Well, I'm out of them. All he had in his pocket was a gospel track with his name and church name on it. He says, oh, that's us, and gave him that. So he left. Well, about a half hour later, this rabbi calls up, and he was hot. How dare you come into my house and try to convert my people and convert me and all this stuff? And he said, I thought, well, that's what unelect Jews, that's how they respond. <laughs> he says, uh, well, no, he said, I wasn't going to do that. She asked me for a business card, and I didn't have one, and I just gave her that. Well, then he was okay. He calmed down. And so now he called him back up. He's going to go out to lunch with him and establish a relationship. But, um, but for elect Jews, and I don't know that that guy was, but for an elect Jews, it's going to show them their sin and lead them to Jesus. That's the purpose of it. And that's what it did in Paul's life. Okay, now what about Gentiles? Y'all have already said it. Well, it's, we're collateral damage. But you see, if you can use the law to show a guy his sin, I don't see why not. But remember, the Jews were prepared people. As a nation, they saw the plagues on Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part. They see the thundering at Mount Sinai. They knew it was true. Well, when I stop people down at Georgia Tech, they don't care what Moses said about anything. So most Gentiles, this is just like shooting 45s at a tank. They don't care. Uh, but the Jews did. But if you can use it, have fun. All right. And Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, now the law is good if... You use it lawfully, understanding the less this. The law is not made for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and sinners. Who's just? Those in Christ. It's not made for you. Okay, use it rightly. Now, Paul said this. He said, when Gentiles, who by definition do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. Their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul didn't use the law when he was evangelizing to Gentiles. He did Jews. So use it if you want to, but God works in the elect. Now, our official statement of faith is the First London Baptist, 1644. You don't have to believe it. But look what they said about this subject. The preaching of the gospel to the conversion of sinners is absolutely free. Watch this. No way requiring as absolutely necessary any qualifications, preparations, or terrors of the law or preceding ministry of the law. So, yes, you can use it for that, but you don't have to. And that's all they were saying. All right. So 
we're looking at the right use of law of Moses. Now that Christ has come, you can use it in evangelism, especially for Jews. Number two, you've already said this, guys. It teaches us theology proper. Here's an example. Deuteronomy 4.35, the Lord is God. There is none besides him. So I'm on an airplane flying back from India, a Hindu lady sitting next to me. I witnessed to her for all 10 hours. And she listened. We talked. And, you know, Hindus, Jesus, yet another God? Sure, bring him on board with the Pantheon, you know. But I showed, I said, oh, no, look what this God says. No other God besides me. He's not going to play second fiddle. He's got to carry the lead. Well, that's where it stopped right there with her thing. She was done. Well, I used Moses. Also, now this is cool. We got this much broader principle of application. And we've talked about this. Deuteronomy 25, you shall not muzzle an ox when it's dreading not the grain. Paul reads that. How does he apply it? You should support church leaders. See how broad that application is? And that's why we could do what Jay said. We could look at their civil penalties for crimes and apply that today. By the way, there's a big controversy. We've been talking about Christian nationalism. You know, I'm not talking about establishing a state church, but somebody's morality is going to be legislated. Either Christians or somebody else's. And so we run down what happened with Constantine a lot. So we're saying that's what happened with Constantine is worse than letting the church be persecuted by the pagans. Okay. And you look back in history. Okay. You know, right now it's secularism that's the religion of the day. So Christian nationalism means we're not going to kill babies anymore. And that's worse than letting, than letting the seculars be in charge. See, somebody's morality is going to be legislated. And so if we learn from Israel, boy, that was a theonomy. They, they, they influ- and we're to be salt and light. Okay, personally, we love our enemies. When government comes, we should... We shouldn't act the law of Christ or the penal codes of Israel or the standards for right and wrong if we have opportunity to do it. Anyway, so Paul talking about that, he says he's talking about supporting church leaders. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Does not the law say the same thing? And so I never thought the law said that. He says, look, it's written the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle the axe while it's trying out the grain. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Evidently not. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? Evidently so. It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Now, there's a lot more there than this, but bottom line is he's saying we should support church leaders. That's a broad use of the law of Moses that we're not under, but we're learning from it. Yes, sir, Jace. I hadn't thought much about that. Would you like to give me an example? Well, just I'm thinking about a lot of crazy sermons I've heard <laughs> where they, they try to do sort of the same thing where they, they go way too far into allegory and typology and the New Covenant hmm. stuff because they saw that uh, Paul would interpret the Old Testament very broadly. I guess I would have to say, unless you're an apostle, you shouldn't do that. I mean, when we see the apostles doing it with Moses, that kind of gives us precedent to follow. But since I, I see the church and the new covenant as terminal station, it don't get any better than that. And so to go beyond that, I think is, well, don't go beyond what's written. It says somewhere important. So I, I guess based just on uh-huh, based just on what you're saying, I guess I, I wouldn't be too happy with that. But you can bring a teaching on that uh, when you get up to teach next time. All right. Number four. There are some amazing typologies here. Now, Hunter, without knowing it, bumbled right onto it. He's so close. He's so close. We're going to help him finish out the race. Remember, the main purpose, according to the commentaries, is that they would be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Okay? Now, 
What does the New Testament do with that? Hmm, well, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Who's you? A church. So look, treasured possession, a people for his possession, kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. So he's taking that from Moses as a shadow. He's saying the reality is in the church. Holy nation, holy nation. That's not coincidence. He's quoting that. All right. John says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest as God and father. So again, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests. There it is. And then Revelation chapter five, by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a what? There it is again, kingdom and priests. So the new covenant and the apostles take the shadow of Israel and their status as a unique nation among the other nations, he applies it to the church as a Christian nation. Of We cross international boundaries, but, you know, we have in Christ common. And so these types, Adam, he's not in the law, but he's in the old Hebrew scriptures. He's a type of Jesus. Opposite type. Good type, bad type. Good cop, bad cop. Type, anotype. He's one man caused all the sin through his disobedience. One man through his obedience makes many righteous. It's a seesaw effect. See, whatever damns you in Adam is the same mechanism that allows you to be justified in Christ. So when you read in Exodus 19 about you be my treasured possession, you have to ultimately say, well, who is he talking about? Well, who is you? All right. Uh, now, I made this point earlier, but uh, i say it again. All scriptures breathed out by God. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures there. There's a big difference between the Hebrew scriptures and the Sinai covenant. Now, it's all profitable, but... I, but you know, people think, you're throwing out the Old Testament. You're throwing out the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, I'm throwing out the Old Covenant. I'm not even throwing that out. I'm just saying you're not under it. All right. So the Old Covenant is not equal to Hebrew Scriptures. And I've gone beyond Moses here, but look, we're using it for worship and devotion. I give you thanks, Jehovah, with my whole heart. I sing your praise. I bow down. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. We can use the Hebrew Scriptures to help us in our worship of Jesus, you see. Also, we can use it. Wisdom, everyday living, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That's just a principle for wise living. Okay, Uh, here's another use. Uh, We got fulfilled faith. No, wait, fulfilled prophecy, faith building, fulfilled prophecies. All right. Here's one drawn from one of the prophets of the law. Bethlehem from you shall come forth for me. One who's to be a ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. If you look at all these prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures about the coming of Jesus, that he no way could have fulfilled coincidentally or even most of them on purpose, you, that will build your faith. Okay. So in conclusion, what's so new about the new covenant? It made the old covenant, what's that word? Obsolete. Okay. So if Old Testament is shadow, what's New Testament? Fulfillment or reality or substance that casts the shadow, right? If Old Testament is all about Moses, what's the New Testament about? Jesus. If Old Testament offers physical blessing, what's the New Testament? Spiritual blessing. If Old Testament, I mean by Old Covenant, of course, is prophecy, what is New Covenant? Fulfillment. If Old Testament is all about physical Israel, what's the New Testament about? Spiritual Israel. And in Galatians, it calls the church the Israel of God. Yeah. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it.
long enough for people to take pictures. All right. Now, there's a lot more that could have been said. I had 360-something slides. Well, actually, I got it 200 a day, more than I thought. But I'd rather cover less than you actually get it than to fly through it. So now, anybody got any learned comments or uh, rebuttals or sneers you'd like to offer? You got it. As Adrian Rogers says, if you can just get this in your head, you'll have it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I, think, I, I think it's it's absolutely true. I mean, Jesus even put stricter comment, stricter for us. I mean, he even said stricter than what yeah. the law was, right? right. If you commit adultery, if you've been lust after a woman in your heart, if you exactly. murder, if you hate your brother mm-hmm. in your heart, or say he's a fool in your heart. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's even stricter under the New Testament if you want to go by law. That is. Amen. You've asked that, and I've got <laughs> one minute. Yeah, well, obviously, there's so much I could have dealt with, but Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish a lot of it, but fulfill it. Well, he did fulfill it. He wasn't antinomian. He wasn't anti-Moses. He was the whole purpose Moses wrote. He fulfilled every bit of it. But in fulfilling it, he passed away. He said, heaven and earth, what did he say? will pass away before my word passes, before every bit of it's fulfilled. But once it's fulfilled, guess what? It passes away. And so that is what happened. Now, Jesus himself declared all foods clean. Remember that? Well, if the jot and tittle thing, how can Jesus say all foods are clean if not one jot or tittle is ever going to pass away? Well, until it's fulfilled. It was fulfilled. That's the point. So it was binding. It was certain. It was fulfilled. It's gone. Thank you. That's a good question and a too short an answer. Uh, Alan, this will be our last comment yeah. of the day. You can go out with a bang. All right. Is this New Testament also final? I would say so. I was in Salt Lake City, and there was a museum, and the first floor was Old Testament, the sec- and it had a museum of the Old Testament. The second floor was New Testament. It had a museum of the New Testament. And the top floor was another testament, and it had all about the Book of Mormon. No, there's not going to be another one. Thank you. It is terminal station. I had to take all those slides out. Church, the new covenant is terminal station. We're there. It's fulfilled. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.